You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, we're going to dip our toe in the laughing at the enemy waters. And in fact, we're going to cover a wide spectrum. we got a lot to try to get to here. We're going to try to cover a wide spectrum. We're going to talk about the Packers. We're going to talk about the Lions. We're going to talk about the Vikings. And we're going to talk about the Bears a little bit. And by talk about, depends what we mean. Sometimes it means looking at things like Christian Watson. By talk about, sometimes it means I'm going to play a video clip and we'll laugh together. Okay? I want to start with this uh, as we dip our toe in the Minnesota Vikings waters here. So, first of all, and, and to be fair, this is Score North, Minnesota Vikings podcast. I like the podcast. Uh, they think they do a really good job, high production value, a lot of good thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. To be fair, they've got a guest on named Randy. I'm pretty sure they bring Randy on to laugh at Randy. But we're going to join in on the fun. So one of the things that we've been kind of chuckling about as Packer fans is how many insane conspiracy theories there have been or or just the weird sort of whiny cryy stuff right the how dare you not throw a flag on on Jair for dancing and celebrating after a good play even though this is the game where Justin Jefferson took his helmet off on the field and smashed his helmet into the back of a referee's shoulder blade, and that wasn't called. This is the game in which the Vikings' corners were grabbing and holding every single play just to keep the Packers' wide receivers from getting away from them, in particular Christian Watson, and zero times, to my recollection, did that get called. But yet they're upset Jair was dancing after a pass breakup. And, of course, floodgate. But anyways, as a... uh, group that has had some fun conspiracies. Randy's got his own, but I want to I want to start with this cuz pretty much everything he says is funny. He, first of all, they talk about uh uh Hamlin and and that situation which is not funny. And then the first question they asked is how does this stack up to all the other blowout losses 
And here's what he had to say. What 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 other blowout loss was there? Uh, what do you mean? Dallas. I guess Dallas. Okay, yeah. too. Well, two. Philadelphia. Well, Philadelphia was a we got hosed in that game, if I recall. Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, that's right. Well, that didn't count because they cheated. Just so so you know. You that's can even say that the Detroit game was kind of out of hand for a little while too. You could yeah. you could. That was like a 10-point loss. You could almost include that as a blowout loss. But that was the Dan Campbell factor. I mean, with... Uh, with, with So, pretty much all their losses have been blowouts. But, okay, aside from the Packers, the only blowout is Dallas. The Eagles don't count because they cheated. And by the way, he's going to explain why the Packers game doesn't count also. But the Eagles game doesn't count because they cheated. And Detroit game apparently doesn't count because of the Dan Campbell factor, which I don't even know what that means. The Dan Campbell factor meaning what? The team is playing really well because of their head coach? Okay. That has nothing to do with anything. So that's the reason you got blown out, but that has nothing to do with why it shouldn't be considered uh, legitimate. But anyways, after that, he goes on to say he watched the game back three times because he wanted to get a sense of it, and here's the conclusion that he came to. see what went wrong, and and you know the no, number one thing I I can figure out is is uh, you know we, we didn't intend to win that game we 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 didn't show up with, uh, with a you know requisite uh, uh, game plan as they say and the, the, I think there might have been a reason for that the, when, you know you, you look at next week more, most likely the Giants are going to rest some guys we weren't really going to have a shot at that you know that that one seed really so you look at the playoffs and, and your your KOC. Uh, who who would you rather play? You wait a be- second, wait a second, wait a second. Are you insinuating that the that the Vikings threw that game against the Packers on purpose? Just kind of took, just kind of took the foot off the gas a little. Took the foot off the gas a little bit. You lost by ninety. Wow. Uh, well, you know who would you rather play? You want to be the two that the two seed and and have to play the you know the Lions, who I think are real dangerous, uh, or 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 uh, you know Green Green Bay. Who is capable of you know squeaking one out against you if, if you're trying? Uh, but but in this case, uh, we, what what upsets me because uh, I like that strategy. They're saying we want to play Deboli, we want to play Deboli, we want the Giants again. We just beat them. The, we just Deboli. I think that's a great Deboli. Uh, it sounds like a restaurant. I thought he was saying the bully, but I think he's trying to say Dable. That just occurred to me because what he's saying is he wants to play the Giants. Yeah, they were just here and we, <laughs> we, we beat their ass and, and, and so we're thinking, let's, <laughs> let's tee that up. Let's I'm not sure back. if beat their ass is how I would classify the Giants Vikings contest, but yeah, they, they barely squeaked out a victory against a garbage team in which they underwhelmed. In other words, they did not perform even in a victory up to the standard of an of, of a team that is expect that has low expectations. All right. So Vegas looked at at the Vikings and they're like, you kind of suck. We'll give you like what was it, three points, four and a half points. But that's it, because you suck. And the Vikings are like, well, I don't know if I can do that. How about a last second field goal? It's like, whatever, dude. Do whatever you can do. You know, we we won. It's a great win. And, and right, so so they so they went in thinking we you know we'll just kind of see what happens, kind of feel it out. But as soon as you know, we we took our we we didn't try to punch it in to, after that uh, 
first turnover, we took the three points. I said, we're not going to win this game. They're, they, they're just here to kind of get get some stretching in, get get a couple of, you know, get a look at a few guys. What what bothers me is if that was your strategy, what, why do you got why you got Schlotman out there? You could use him in the playoffs. Now he's toast. You know, don't if you're. Why do you have Schlotman out there? The backup center who got hurt. That's your concern, and then and they address it. But it's like you're upset that they're playing the backup center. You're not upset about the quarterback, any of the other offensive linemen, your wide receivers, Daniil, Zadarius. None of that matters. You're worried about Schlotman. You're gonna do that. Why is he out there? You know why? Why? Why is, why is Schlotman? I mean, he was out really there? the only center on your team yeah, that had ever you, played in a football game before. That's that's one reason why he was out there. If you're gonna punt on the game, then just start Reed. That's what. I, Here's the thing: if we're gonna punt on the game, and then why didn't you do it? Exactly. Exactly. The 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 problem is your starting reference point. <laughs> You're starting with, obviously, they punted on the game. However, having done that, I'm confused because nothing you did after that made any sense. Right. Because they didn't punt on the game. That's the point. Teams that punt on games, you'll see it in, in, in this upcoming week of football. It happens all the time. You know what they do? They rest their starters. That's what happens. I say, and 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 so that I have some issues with the way they went about it, but the strategy I think is 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 sound. You know, you wanna you wanna you wanna play the bully, and then you wanna lock yourself. As soon as they knew the Giants were locked into the six, they wanted to drop down to the three. So just put some scrubs in and rest your studs. Why did Kirk play then, or Justin Jefferson? Get some reps. You know, to get reps. Well, Jefferson, reps. Jefferson barely the whole game. Judd. Maybe they, yeah, they it's a good point. Go out there and get some That's cardio. Jair Alexander played. Yeah. Jefferson showed up. Well, now they <laughs> got it. Now, and, and now you see he was he was yelling. He was throwing helmets and stuff. Now they got in. You know they 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 threw threw off his mojo. So KOC, you know, if you're listening, next time you want to want to want to you know just kind of punt on a game like that, put put the you know put in the reserves. Put but uh, you know let, let uh, uh, right. And you know what? Next time he will. Because the next time will be the first time. And he will do exactly that because that's what you do when you punt on a game. Anyways, this is mostly just nonsense. I don't know if this guy's just goofing around. Maybe he's a a fictional character that uh, the show has created. I have no idea what this is. But I thought it was fun. I thought it was funny. We don't need to continue on. The point is, well, now, and even the guys start jumping in like, this is genius because now Justin Jefferson is angry. No, now, now just Justin Jefferson, if anything, he's angry because all those records went down the drain. But he's beyond angry, he's discouraged. So, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But just so you know, whether this is a real segment or a spoof segment, I don't know. But just so you know, this potentially is floating out there, that this is a good strategy to take your foot off the gas a little bit so that you can be the, whatever, three seeds so that you're locked into playing the Giants who are locked into the sixth seed, if that's even how that works. What would it be? It would be two and seven. Yeah, three and six, and then four and five. Yeah. So get yourself locked into the three seed so you can play the sixth seed who is the Giants. I don't know that that's true. That's what he said. I'm just going to roll with it because this whole thing is nonsense and doesn't make any sense. So yeah, the the Vikings threw the game. That's why they lost by uh, 724.6 points in the first half. I also have a clip here. I had alluded to it yesterday because it, something I kind of heard in passing, not really sure about the details, didn't really mark think to mark it down. 
I found a, a different person in giving more detail, and I want to play it, and it, and it goes to the other Vikings conspiracy theory that the, the field was flooded, and this is a terrible field, and all this stuff, and that's the reason people were slipping around. Not just because it's outdoors, and sometimes wet happens in the outside, and we can be responsible adults and figure out how to deal with it. No, it's a grand conspiracy, and the Packers suck, and the field is terrible, and grass is horrible, even though everyone's unanimously decided that grass is significantly better to play in. But it's just too hard. Everything needs to be a temperature-controlled dome for these overgrown children to play in, which doesn't even make sense because children literally play outside and, and can manage it. But apparently these grown adult millionaires, they cannot. They need to be in a perfect 71 degrees Fahrenheit, of course. Temperature-controlled stadium with artificial turf. No variables whatsoever. No wind. I wonder if wind was a factor in this game that caused the Packers to cheat. Like, did they just have a bunch of aerosol spraying into the air, create some global warming vortex, you know? I made that up, but what does it matter at this point? Anyways, I'll get to the clip, but before I do, I think it's important that we check in with the Chicago Bears and just make sure they're doing all right. Because I, I think they're doing a super job. I really do. They're super and they're swell. And I just want to make sure that uh, the mental health thing is going going okay. Early to uh, know. But I think there are things to be uh, optimistic about in terms of the foundation that's been laid down. The championship habits, as Flus puts it. Yeah. And I, and I do think that the fact that this team is 3-12 and 12, and there's really been no drama. Hmm. And you and I have commented every week going into that locker room. Feels like Super Bowl champs. It's been a long that, time. But it's been a long time since there's been an adult in the room. Yeah, at, at you know leading the Chicago Bears, and it's it, it feels like we. Well, obviously everything's going great. Um, because when you look at the fact that they've only won three games, and 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 the fact that they're not rioting in the locker room, I mean, when you look at their, it feels like Super Bowl champs, man. It really does. I mean. Maybe not the part where Roquan demanded a trade and and all that kind of stuff, but otherwise, like the mentality is so good that you almost have to assume they're going to win a Super Bowl. Like you, you kind of just have to. The aura from this three-one football team just bleeds Super Bowl champs. Not the play or talent, play calling, leadership, decision making, drafting free agency, like that, none of that necessarily speaks to their championship ability, but their their ability to function and continue to go on the field and play despite the fact that they're only a three-win football team without just breaking down and curling up in the fetal position and crying in despair, it just screams Super Bowl champions, doesn't it? Man, I'm so happy you guys are doing good over there. I really am. Because you're right, that's the vibe I get. It really is. Every Sunday I look and say, there's no way they're taking the field. They probably didn't even show up. Did they really fly in? Did they fly to that town? There's no way. Well, they're not going to take the field. And sure enough, every week, they have the, the courage, nay, the audacity, to walk out onto another football field and declare themselves a professional football team and give it the old college try and lose another game. It's incredible their ability to do that week after week after week, and only, only a Super Bowl-caliber team could continue to lose with that level of audacity and courage. Because it does take courage to show your face on, on television. 
with with you know everything being considered. So I'm with you, Super Bowl champions. I think I think you I think you nailed it, man. Kind of started just in a random spot. He kind of talks for a while, but the 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 point is there are things that point to you being a better team, and then there are things that are just kind of fluky. And he points to the slipping as being fluky, but he phrases it not as a disadvantage that was thrust upon the Vikings, but a disadvantage that they brought on themselves. Listen to how he phrases this and how he explains how this all went down, specifically with all the slipping. Against the Colts, you were simply the better team. Against the Packers, that wasn't the case. I think that the Vikings are a slightly better team than the Packers, but a number of things mounted up against the Vikings, both in terms of low-frequency events like the ones that I just mentioned, ones that don't really reflect the quality of the team, as well as things that are uh, that make you lose marginal edges, things like wearing the wrong cleats in the stadium. You know, I think things like wearing the wrong cleats in the stadium, not the Packers flooding the field. It's wearing the wrong cleats. But what does that mean? What are you talking about? That obviously played a pretty significant role. The arguments I had on Twitter afterwards were very annoying about it. But I think it's pretty clear that if players don't have their footing. They cannot play football very well. Um, you know, for people who are unfamiliar, uh, the Vikings knew beforehand that the footing at Lambeau Field would be pretty difficult. And uh, they knew ahead of time. So the Packers flooded the field and then they called the Vikings. They're like, hey, just letting you know, uh, we're having a pool party and we're not going to drain the pool responsibly. We got all these inflatable giant pools and we're just going to stab a hole in it and let it flood the field. And then we're going to do like the Chicago Bears thing where we do slip and slides on the field. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Thanks. Love you. Bye. The equipment manager recommended and head coach Kevin O'Connell told the team that they'd be better off wearing the seven stud cleats instead of the normal five stud cleats as far as I remember. That's weird. So they knew, the coach knew, and then the coach told the players, hey, you got to wear the shoes that are the seven stud. They're a little, you know, bigger so you don't slip as much. But then they, then, then what happened though? Remember, Sam, uh, you probably have better access to reporting on this one, but I think that that is accurate. And many players, uh, one of whom was Justin Jefferson, another of whom I believe was TJ Hawkinson, and I want to say also Adam Thielen, did not practice in the seven stud cleats over the course of the week and then did not play to start the game in those cleats. K.J. Osborne, however, did. Uh, he never seemed to have fallen down and said after the game that his footing was fine. Throughout the Weird. So field conditions are something that, you know, for outdoor stadiums, people that are not in a dome, there are different conditions, especially if you're not dealing with artificial turf, you know, entirely. I don't know exactly what the grass is comprised of in Green Bay. I'm sure it's some hybrid weird thing. But the point is, it is standard operating procedure for someone I'm learning now it is the equipment manager, which would make sense because that's the person that needs to make sure they're wearing the right equipment in the right situations. The equipment manager's job is to get field conditions. Is it wet? Is it raining? Is it snowing? You know, grass, turf, all these different things. And to understand, as a result of these things, what shoes you should probably wear and then relays that to the team. That makes a lot of sense that you would do that in preparation. In this case, the Minnesota Vikings equipment manager who has been there for a long time, very respected person, said, here's the conditions. It's going to be wet and sloppy a little bit, so you need to wear your seven stud shoes. And some of the players, including Justin Jefferson, refused to do it. 
chose not to. And then it sounds like maybe uh, later in the game, after he'd been slipping around out there, decided to wear them, but hadn't practiced at all in wearing those shoes. K.J. Osborne practiced in them, started in them, finished in them, and was asked about it after the game, like, what's up with this slippery field? And he's like, I didn't have any problems. I don't know what you're talking about. Weird. Weird how that happens. Packers are cheating, dude. Anyways, I want to pivot quickly to um, the Detroit Lions. Um, I've, I've, I've now seen, we're, we're now, I'm getting fully immersed in where the Lions are at, the Lions fans and their thoughts on everything. They're pretty fired up, man. It's, it's actually similar to the Vikings, and, and rightfully so. They've been playing some good football. Again, you look at DVOA the second half of the season, the Packers and Lions are both top 10 teams, borderline, I think, top five. I think the Packers are sixth and the Lions are fourth. Over the, over the second half of the season via DVOA. So there's every reason to be optimistic and to be fired up. They've they've seen their team do some pretty crazy things, and, and they know what they're capable of doing, all that. But, you know, I, I don't exactly know all the narratives. It was the same with the Vikings where I heard some things, and it was like, what? That's what you guys are? Okay. And some of it's good because it's insightful. It's like, I didn't know that. And it's true, and some of it is just nonsense. But interesting nonetheless. Um, but before I pivot to that, just just because I, I again, you know, Vikings, Lions, Packers all battling for a spot, but the Bears fans are struggling. I, I just want to make sure, just just to make sure that everything's going okay. I want to check in with uh, Chicago Bears Central. Um, just you know, see how he's doing. Like this Ooh. was a struggle game to watch, bro. Like that bro. first quarter, it was like, hey man, the Bears may put up a little bit of fight, and the Bears. Promptly said, hey, you, hey, hey, you thought we was winning this? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what the f- no. He like, y'all funny as hell. <laughs> y'all thought we was winning this? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that uh, several fans have reached the acceptance phase of, of grief. Everybody's got their own thing, man. I just want to make sure that you're doing okay. You know, the, the last show, pure denial, but they're comfortable in it. Here we get acceptance. But all I hear is joy. And that's a good thing. I love this show, man. I really do. All right, let's get to it here. And for the record, he's brought up some some good points, right? Uh, number one, the Packers are getting all this credit for coming back from being a, a team that had no chance. What about the Lions? Nobody's talking about the Lions. No, I don't know that that's the case, but I, I haven't specifically heard it. But the Lions started one and six and are now knocking at the doorstep. They're kind of one win away from getting into the playoffs. It's assuming the Seahawks lose the game, which I don't think that they're going to, but still. But he, he, you know, very reasonable, gets a lot of things going. But then he said this, and it piqued my curiosity. Packers fans can cry all they want. We have the better quarterback coming into this weekend. I don't mean statistically over the years who's the better quarterback. Who is playing the better football right now at quarterback? Jared Goff is playing the better football right now at quarterback. Who is the better offense out of these two right now? Who is playing the better football? Oz is playing better football at this moment in time. We can put up points on here in the defense. Yes, it can be bad on its day, but for four of the last six weeks, it's actually been pretty good. And it put in one of its best performances in a very long time on the weekend, just gone, because it's healthy and it's getting there. And people are going, acting like Green Bay are just massive favorites. It's the cold weather. Get the hell out of here. Tampa have been there and won. San Francisco have been there and won. Teams who play in hot weather climates. And All right, so... This is the last part of that kind of reminds me of some of the stuff that Vikings fans were saying. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like, you're, you're missing it. You're not understanding the point. 
right? It's it's. I, I think the big thing with the Vikings was the Packers are favorites because everyone's uh, mistakenly hyping up this fraudulent Packers team. And I'm like, no, you know, you're missing it. It's not because the Packers are great. It's because you're frauds. It's because you're not as good as you think you are. You're missing the mark here. And it's the same thing with this. Oh, they're favorites because it's cold. No, there is. That was another thing he brought up earlier. People say that the Lions and Goff can't play in the cold. I looked it up. That's not true. Um, the last time he played, I think below 30 games, he's like 3-1 and one or something. And he just he just recently played in Chicago. It was like th- or below 40, I think. It was like 32 degrees, and, and they destroyed the Bears. And I think they've done it like twice this year. So I don't see anything like that. But but that's the point. Do you think Vegas is, is handicapping this, giving them a disadvantage because golf is bad in the cold because they don't have the ability to look it up and see that that's not true? Of course not. It has nothing to do with the cold. Just because you saw some rando on Twitter say that doesn't mean that that's the reason the line is set where it is and, and the Packers are favorites. So that's incorrect. Um, I want to touch on a couple things, though. So first of all, I didn't mention special teams. But in reality, both of them are, are, are very good. It de- depends where you kind of divide things up. Second half of the season, which is really funny. If you just go to the second half of the season, you've got the fourth-ranked Detroit Lions against the sixth-ranked uh, Green Bay Packers. The third offense against the sixth offense. Detroit is favored in both of these so far. Then defensively, the Lions are 22nd, but the Packers are 16th. And then special teams, the Detroit Lions are second and the Packers are third. So second half of the season, they're very evenly matched in the favor of Detroit. Obviously, if you zoom in a little closer, you get a slightly different picture, right? The the last quarter, we'll say five weeks, Green Bay's number one, Detroit drops down to 10th. Offensively, they have the edge at fourth compared to the Packers at 10th. However, their defense drops to 31st, which when you listen to him say our defense is starting to get better, it certainly doesn't appear that way. They were just, what, 26th and other 31st? The Packers, on the other hand, jumped to third. And then special teams, Detroit is still very good at fourth, but Green Bay goes to number one. So again, it kind of depends where you slice it. But here's a couple notes. Number one, is the Detroit Lions offense better than the Green Bay Packers? I think it's fair to say overall, and, and pretty much from any standpoint, whether it's the full season, the second half, or the last quarter, Detroit has maintained a much better offense. However, as I've already said, that's kind of comparing apples and oranges. If this was in Detroit, no question. If this was on a neutral field, no question. In Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers offense is 14.1% better than average. Detroit on the road, 3.6%. Which offense is better, 14 or, or 3 it's not even close. And, and, and this, is, this is the entire season. I can't do home and away by week. I, I can probably figure it out, but I'm not going to. So the point is, Green Bay gets significantly better in, compared to what they've been earlier in the season. So it's higher than the 14.1 that you're seeing here. But even throughout the entire season, the Green Bay Packers at home, our offense at home compared to Detroit's offense on the road, the Packers offense is way better. And that's the reality we're with. And, and, and again, it's like I said with Minnesota. If we play Minnesota in the playoffs, it's going to be in Minnesota. And I'm going to have to run the numbers again. And I don't know that we come out ahead in that scenario. But that wasn't the situation. That wasn't what we were dealing with in that moment. And I'm just dealing with what we're dealing with right now. Are the Packers a better team than Detroit flat out? I don't know. But my comfort level with the Packers beating Detroit doesn't have to do necessarily with us being just neutral field, all things being equal, dome, no weather you know, the most neutral situation you can come up with. 
the Packers being better. That's that's not what I'm saying. I'm looking at a really good home team in Green Bay being at home and a horrifically bad road team in Detroit being on the road. There's a reason this split exists. Home field advantage is a thing, and it, it varies from team to team. Some teams are really good home teams. Some teams, it doesn't even matter. There really is no home field advantage. Like I said, technically, some teams are negative. They, they've been worse at home. I mean, it's, it's a fluky thing if you play harder opponents at home or whatever. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be that, but you get my point, right? Tampa Bay, Detroit, Green Bay, Miami, they're, they're much better at home. And when they're on the road, it's a concern, which is, is, is a reason why Detroit especially, but also Green Bay and some of these other teams need to be somewhat concerned because you're not going to get a home stretch through the playoffs. Now you're going on the road, so the quality of your team drops just off the top. So this like top Green Bay team suddenly is like, mm, I don't know, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So although I don't want to super nitpick what he's saying in terms of him saying we have a better offense, because again, generally speaking, that may be true, but how does that correspond to the game coming up? Because you're clearly directly talking about this upcoming game, right? You're talking about why you shouldn't be underdogs. You're talking about this game. Well, in that case, I have to look at home versus away. We have to compare that, compare apples to apples. Packers at home, Detroit on the road. The Packers offense is and has been significantly better than Detroit. That's not debatable. The other thing he brought up, Jared Goff, he said not in prior years statistically, but you know, right now, I don't know if he means this year in totality or, or more recently or whatever, but he, he said in contrast to previous years, so I'll say this year. And, and again, in some ways, you can make that case. Who has more yards? Jared Goff. 4,200 compared to 3,400. It's not even close. He has almost 1,000 more yards. Higher completion percentage. It's close, 64.7 to compared to 64.9, but it's Jared Goff. Higher yards per, per attempt. Jared Goff. Who has more touchdowns? Jared Goff, 25 compared to 29. Who has less interceptions? Jared Goff, 7 compared to 11. So statistically, is Aaron Rodgers and Jared Goff, uh, who would it go to? It's, it's Jared Goff, but let me point out a couple things here. Number one, I, I'm and, and this is coming from a guy who has not been a massive Aaron Rodgers defender this year. He's clearly had a down year. I'm, I'm becoming extremely frustrated with not only the um, decision-making, but the ball placement, I think, has just been horrific. It really, really, really is terrible. I'm so sick of guys having to reach into their back pocket, which destroys their momentum. They can't catch and run. They got a con- I mean, the Lazard catch where he had to fall on the ground, took three seconds for guys to get there and touch him because people there was nobody near him. How many, he could have got, what, 20 yards on that? But he had to fall down on the ground to catch. It's, it's, it's annoying. With all that said, let me be very clear. Matt Stafford, has always, he probably had higher interceptions, but always had better statistics as a thrower. They threw the ball more, and he was a deeper pass guy. He crushed it when it came to touchdowns and yards. He was never a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers, right? So, yeah, more yards, more touchdowns, less interceptions. Let's dig a little deeper. Let's look at PFF grade for for starters. Jared Goff, 70.6. Aaron Rodgers, 78.7. Passing grade, Jared Goff, 69.8, Aaron Rodgers, 76.4. Well, how is that fair? Well, let's look at a couple things. Big-time throws. Jared Goff, just 2.7% of his throws are big-time throws, which equates to 16. Aaron Rodgers nearly doubles that at 30. 5.5% of his throws are big-time throws. How about turnover-worthy plays? 
Remember, Jared Goff has less interceptions than Aaron Rodgers. Interestingly enough, though, this all comes down to it being a complete fluke. Turnover-worthy plays. Do you know how many times Jared Goff... let's, Let's break down that phrase, turnover worthy plays. What does that mean? It means you threw a pass that coulda, woulda, shoulda been picked. If the, if the defender caught it, then it goes into the interception column. If he didn't, then it doesn't. Here's the thing, though. My standard generally with any quarterback is, as soon as that ball leaves your hands, the grade is complete. My opinion of you as a quarterback cannot change after this point. That's why total yards doesn't matter to me. It, air yards is what matters to me. Why? Because if they drop it, if it's caught and he goes down, if it's caught and he runs for 15 yards, that has to do with the wide receiver. Likewise, if you throw an interception, whether or not that defender is, is competent enough to catch the ball is irrelevant. You threw an interception. Do you know how many actual interceptions Aaron Rodgers has thrown? 15. 11 of those were caught. Do you know how many interceptions Jared Goff has thrown? 23. Only seven of them have been caught. Jared Goff throws turnover-worthy plays, which is to say basically throws picks, at 3.7%. That's his rate. Aaron Rodgers, 2.5%. But in terms of how many are caught, Jared Goff, only one-third of the time when he throws an interception, is it caught. Aaron Rodgers is getting dangerously close to 100%. 15 times, 11 of them were caught. I actually ran a little, you probably saw this on Twitter, but I ran a little mathematical thing because I was curious about it. I wanted to look at turnover-worthy plays, so I took the entire NFL, I got rid of a lot of the quarterbacks that haven't played a ton, and I wanted to get a baseline for um, what is a normal turnover-worthy play percentage. Or no, no, not not a, I said that wrong. What is a normal percentage of interceptions that are caught? So again, Goff is at like 30-something percent, Rodgers is at, I don't know, 80 percent. Let's normalize it. Let's go through the NFL and find out what the normal rate is. And it was like, I think it was 4.1 percent. Because again, you can't control who catches the interception and who doesn't. So if you adjust down to a normal, let's say, 4% of the time, oh no, it wouldn't be 4, that doesn't make sense, 41 maybe? I don't know. I think it was 41%. Maybe I'm thinking of a different number. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is, if you normalize it, Aaron Rodgers' interceptions, based on the league average of how many turnover-worthy plays are picked, is at 6. It drops from 11 to 6. He is right now, I think, the 8th, I'm just going off the top because I don't feel like looking this back up, Eighth most interceptions he's tied for, and I think he's like tied for the sixth least or eighth least. It's somewhere in that range. If if there was a normal interception rate, the bottom line is, th- th- yes, the the throws haven't been great, but as far as interceptions, this is a very unlucky stretch. And that's I, I had a, a Shelby who does a, a has a Vikings thing for some reason did was like laughing at that statistic, and it's like that's it's just it's numbers. I don't know what you want me to do about it. It's, it's basic data. It's not even, there's nothing, there's no, nowhere to argue in there. The only potential argue point is that there's no defined way to look at turnover-worthy plays. And so there may be a range where Rogers turnover-worthy plays, or you throw it right into a guy's chest, and Jared Goff's turnover-worthy plays tend to be more like off the defender's outstretched hands. That or... Maybe you put more velocity on it, which makes it harder to catch. You got a certain kind of, put a little English on it, you know, it's got a little backward spin so that defenders can't catch it. But the reality is all that matters is turnover-worthy play percentage. That's the bottom line. What percentage of the time do you throw a ball that coulda, woulda, shoulda been picked by a defender? 
Jared Goff does that more often. I don't care what the actual interception numbers are. The actual interceptions matter more than anything else, but only in terms of how it affects the game. It's been, we've been more negatively impacted by interceptions as a team than the Detroit Lions, but that is not directly a reflection of Aaron Rodgers' ability to throw the ball as compared to Jared Goff. Does that make sense? Turnover-worthy plays don't matter in terms of how it affects the play, but when we're talking about quality of quarterback, turnover-worthy play is all that matters and interceptions do not. It's a narrow view of a larger picture that turnover-worthy plays tells us entirely. So as always, it depends on the question. Who's been more negatively impacted by interceptions? The Packers. Who's thrown more uh, turnover-worthy plays? Who's thrown more actual interceptions, whether they were dropped or not? Jared Goff. By a pretty wide margin, 15 compared to 23, it's, it's very similar to adjusted completion percentage, right? If I throw a pass and it's dropped, the official tally says that it was an incomplete pass, which is a negative mark for the quarterback, and it shouldn't be. That's why adjusted completion percentage is a much better metric than completion percentage, because it takes out stuff that has nothing to do with your accuracy as a quarterback. Adjusted completion percentage is basically just how many times did you throw an accurate football? And yes, Jared Goff is higher in that metric, 77.8 compared to 75.6. You look at time to throw, Rodgers gets a ball out quicker, 2.65 compared to 2.7. If you look at uh, deep passing, Aaron Rodgers is graded higher, not by a ton, but by a little, 82.4 compared to 79.8. Adjusted completion percentage, again, is in Jared Goff's favor. However, also again, big time throws, Aaron Rodgers 27%, Goff 19%, turnover worthy plays, Goff 12%, Rodgers 9%. Rodgers also has 11 touchdowns on deep passes compared to Jared Goff's five. So they're very similar, but in a marginal sense, Rodgers is a better deep ball passer. How about under pressure? Very important thing. Rodgers generally not very good under pressure. If you look at the PFF grades, Aaron Rodgers 62.7 while under pressure. Jared Goff has a 40.2 PFF grade. That dude sucks under pressure. In this instance, Even Jared Goff's statistics suffer. His completion percentage is below Aaron Rodgers by a fairly wide margin, 47.2 compared to 41.2. Adjusted completion percentage, Goff is about 63. Aaron Rodgers is about 66. Goff does have one more touchdown at five compared to four, but he also has one more interception. And in in terms of turnover-worthy plays, again, he's higher. So no matter what, it's 5% compared to 4.3, which isn't as wide of a margin as before, but still more turnover-worthy plays, and big-time throws under pressure, Jared Goff doesn't throw them. Only 1.2% of the time when he's under pressure does he throw a big-time throw. And again, the um, big-time throw is a sort of a proprietary PFF thing, but it's it's a throw that is at the high end of the grading scale. So it, they have a two-point scale that goes in, in half increments. So 0.5, 1, 1.5, and 2, but it also does that into the negative. Any throw that is greater at one, one and a half, or two is classified as a big time throw. They defined it. I don't want to have to do this every time, but for those that are kind of new here, here's what PFF has to say. In its simplest terms, a big time throw is on the high end of both difficulty and value, which is again the thing that I always struggle with when I'm when I'm grading things because I don't generally care about value. I just care about the throw itself. Right? If you throw a screen pass and it goes for a 40 yard touchdown. The difficulty of the throw was very low. The value was very high, but the quarterback didn't do anything. But anyways, it's very high in both difficulty and value. And in terms of difficulty, it says it's harder to gauge than it is value because that's easy to see statistically. 
yards, touchdowns, etc. However, they go on to say the difficulty has more to do with passes that have a lower completion percentage the further the ball is thrown down the field. Therefore, big-time throw is best described as a pass with excellent ball location and timing, generally thrown further down the field and or into a tighter window. That is what a big-time throw is. It's not just some arbitrary term. It is somewhat subjective, but not very. That's pretty well-defined, so you understand what that means. Better, more accurate throws that are somewhat more difficult to make. Further down the field, tighter windows, etc. Rodgers, while under pressure, has done that 12 times this season and does it almost 10% of the time, which is incredibly high. 10%. One in 10 times while he's under duress, he throws a big-time, very difficult throw. Now, maybe being under duress makes it difficult, which is part of the reason why it's sort of automatically in this category. I don't know. But then explain Jared Goff at 1.2%. So in my opinion... Again, Rodgers is having a down year. Goff is, has been adequate and has done some really great things to, to get the team where it is. I don't want to take away from that. But I think overall, Rodgers has been marginally better, even despite having a rough year. I think he's a marginally better deep ball thrower. I think he's significantly better under pressure. So at best, I will grant you that they're, they're relatively even. The statistics heavily favor Jared Goff. I think the advanced statistics slightly favor Aaron Rodgers. But again, this isn't home in a way. This is just, and, and I did this with Kirk Cousins last time. I'm not going to do that. It takes a, well, maybe I should just do it. Maybe. No, I'm not going to. We're almost 40 minutes into this and we need to take a break and come back and, and uh, look at Christian Watson because I'm not going to not do that. Sounds like it'll take a long time. It really won't. There aren't that many plays. It just depends how much, how quickly I can shut up. So why don't we give it a shot? Uh, we'll take a break right here. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is where you can support the podcast. You can uh, sign up to subscribe for as little as $1 a month. Shout out to uh, Nick Mommertz. He's a good dude. Sorry, I still don't know how to say your last name. I think I did at one point and then forgot. But uh, I appreciate you jumping on the Patreons, my man. Been a while, man. Haven't had a, haven't had a donor in a while. But I do appreciate that. Thank you so much. Also, please do not forget to check out Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry at FertileGroundRanch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, so um, we're going to go through and look at every single one of Christian Watson's snaps here. Um, I've already done this, so I'm well aware, and let me just tell you flat out, the guy's open every single time. I was worried because... You know, having not really gone back and reviewed a lot of games, he obviously had his spike and then started to fall off. And and although I was confident he's still able to do the things he was doing, not seeing it, you start to think, I don't know, maybe it was all a fluke, da-da-da. But remember, early in the season, he was getting no attention. And the reason I fell in love with Watson, I was not a huge fan of him in the draft, didn't dislike him, just had no real opinion of him. Um, Didn't really have high expectations. My expectations hit a ceiling when two things happened. One... I saw that he could hit 23 miles an hour on the field. And then two, watching back his game against like Minnesota or whatever game it was and seeing the guys open like every play. And so I watched this game to see what happens. And again, he is open. I'm not kidding you. It is nearly, I think there are two plays where he's not open. We'll get into the details, so I don't need to necessarily say it. But the two that I recall from yesterday when I watched it, both of them were corner of the end zone. One is at like the four yard line. He runs his fade, which you're never going to be open. But again, you could throw a 50-50 ball to him. So he's as open as you could possibly be. The other one, again, he runs to the corner of the end zone and he's kind of jogging. So I don't think the the, uh, the expectation was for him to actually run a route. And there are a couple of those plays which I don't count as him not being open because you're not trying to get open. This feels the same way. There's two guys running into the corner of the end zone. I'm guessing they were trying to open up something in the middle. I don't know. But he was jogging and whatever. That's it. Every other play he's open that I can recall. We'll see if I'm wrong. All right, so leaving out all the run plays, the first pass play is actually set up to be a screen. So again, Watson doesn't really have any role in this. This is the other thing. When I say he's open every single snap, we assume every pass play or or there's a lot of offensive plays. Well, there's a lot of run plays and a lot of the passing plays also. Christian Watson is either not on the field or is not actually slated to be a, a receiver on this play. So the amount of times he actually runs route and routes and is trying to get open is actually not that many. But the first play here that he is actually running a route, and it actually, again, I believe this play was designed to go to Christian Watson. You have Lazard and uh, I believe Randall Cobb kind of running. We got a curl route and an out route, but all at the same level to kind of draw up defenders. Watson kind of comes around behind them, and there is an open pocket there. Rodgers is looking that way. I think he comes off it a little early, but either way, my assumption is he doesn't want to throw it. And maybe he shouldn't. I'm saying he's open because he ran to the open part of the field. Maybe if he throws this, the safety comes down and takes it. It's not really meant to be necessarily an anti-Rodgers, but it's it's just a, you know, if, if, if Watson didn't do what he was supposed to do, he did the best he could because he ran to the open part of the field. And that's that's part of this too is he didn't do anything exceptional, but is he open? He is. 
open-ish, we'll say, is how I actually wrote it down. He's open-ish. There is a safety over the top. He is kind of staring down Rodgers, and I'm sure that's what scared Rodgers to begin with to say, I'm not going to challenge it because if this isn't, you know, super great, good chance that he comes down in time and gets this picked off. So he comes off of it. But does he get open? You know, if I just went through and took screenshots of the guys or green grass all around him, of course. That's the way I'm going to say that. Of course he is. But um, this is the play, and I'll, I'll tell you how it concluded also. Rodgers breaks out to the right, throws on the run, and overthrows uh, Aaron Rodgers down the side, or uh, Aaron Jones down the sideline. Doesn't throw overthrow himself after that is a punt. So th- that was his one on that series. Then you had the punt block followed by the kickoff return for a touchdown. So the offense had been sitting for a while. Then you get four run plays in a row followed by uh, the the next play where Roger or Watson tries to get down the field and Rodgers does try to hit him down the field. That is the point of this. Um, and he he does. He cooks number twenty off the line hilariously. Another thing that Vikings fans kept saying is that Duke Shelley locked down Christian Watson. Duke Shelley got cooked by that by Watson all day long. Um, he got beat immediately off the line. I said I posted a picture of it, a screenshot on Twitter of this exact play. Uh, Duke Shelley is grabbing his jersey to the point where you can see the jersey being pulled. You can see it being stretched, um, and then also his right hand is also grabbing Christian Watson's hip to try to slow him down. And it doesn't matter because one second later he's wide open down the field. Unfortunately, Rodgers has pressure in his face. Um, I think it's always hard to tell where Rodgers is looking. It kind of looks like he's looking Watson's way. Surprisingly, this is David Bakhtiari. He got beat so bad by Daniil Hunter, got walked immediately, like within seconds, uh, over to... You know what's funny in this play, too? Now that I have it freeze-framed here, I'm realizing after Watson gets free, number 39 is grabbing uh, Randall Cobb's jersey. I can see it because the numbers... Like, I can't see the number. You know why? Because the jersey's being pulled across the numbers so you can't see it. So Watson was held on this play. Randall Cobb was held on this play. I can't exactly see what's going on at the top of the field. I'm going to let it ride out a little bit to see if maybe he gets grabbed. We'll go three for three. But it's incredible how much grabbing is going on and the refs aren't calling it. But yeah, David Bakhtiari gets dog walked back into Rodgers, which misses a wide open Christian Watson. So, And that's that's part of the problem too. There's so many times where it's like, man, we could have had it, we could have had it, but at that first play, yeah, I mean, you know, again, Watson didn't do anything wrong. He ran the route he was supposed to run. He's kind of open, but probably shouldn't have thrown it. Good call by Rodgers to pull it down and not throw it. This time, Watson cooks the guy. This is his second time actually running a route, and he kills the guy. It's the first time in man coverage, crushes him. Rodgers can't throw it because David Bakhtiari is stepping on his shoes. He tries to scramble away and ends up getting sacked because everybody else on the offensive line also loses their thing. But it's like, come on, guys. Like, Bakhtiari is a great offensive lineman. The one time he's going to fail is when Watson's screaming wide open down the field. Come on, man, don't do that to me. And that I believe that was fourth down, too. So Vikings take over possession on that. So, again, think about how deep we are into this game now. We, we've got two Packers possessions, like three Vikings possessions. Watson's run two routes. One of them was in man coverage. Then we get the pick six by Darnell Savage. So, once again, Vikings get the ball back. <laughs> the offense just sits. So then the Vikings drive down the field. They miss their field goal. Packers take over at about the 35-yard line. Christian Watson, and, and here's, here's the thing. I, every, every week, I add something into the cap of Christian Watson, right? It's, it's the route running. It's the trust. It's the, the, the touchdown ability, the 50-50 ability. There's all these things every single week. You know what they're really exploiting now is eating up the cushion. He, these guys will play 10 yards off, and Watson can still get behind him. And what did I say about Tyreek Hill? The reason you can't stop him, even if you play off, He's going to eat up that cushion. He ran, it's first and 10. He ran 11 yards down the field and ran a curl route. And the defender is three yards away from him, bailing. 
and he sees Christian Watson run the run his curl route. So now he's trying to come back. If that ball was there, this is an easy 11 yards that Watson just stole. Just stole it. Rodgers is looking to his left. Watson is to the right. He's trying to look over the wrong direction. My, my prescription, treat Christian Watson like Devontae Adams. If you look at his way 90% of the time, he's probably going to be open. If, if you look 100% of the time, he's going to be open nine times out of 10. This is a free 11 yards. He was looking over at Alan Lazard. He ends up just pitching the ball. I don't think he ever even looked to the right. He had Randall Cobb kind of standing there waiting for the ball. You had uh, Watson waiting for the ball. Lazar, Rogers, and, and I think this is part of the problem too. He, without having that number one guy, you know, the, the benefit that we thought we were going to have is now that we have so many guys, you can distribute the ball around. The problem is you don't know where to put your eyes. So before the, the snap, he's like, I think this will be a good Lazard play or something. So he looks, Lazard doesn't get open. Crap. So then he looks over to his left and sees, A.J. Dillon sitting in the flat, and he's covered, so he's like, I'm just going to pitch this thing out of bounds, throws it out of bounds. All the while, we had a free 11 yards over by Christian Watson. Next play, it's a uh, deep shot to Christian Watson. What's funny about this, the guy is, uh, let's see, about eight, nine yards. He's playing eight, nine yards off. Christian Watson runs a double move and almost immediately gets behind him. That's the it's the play where uh, there's there's... In fact, a grab, there is a minor one, not as bad as the last one. But as a result, Aaron Rodgers throws the ball a little bit too far. If you look at when he releases it, it's right at the time when the defender has his hands on him. So it's kind of a, what, what would you call that? It's it's a, we've been working at this, I think I can gauge his speed kind of a throw. Um, it's somewhat unfortunate because, and I understand he needs to get rid of it as soon as possible, but... I think my my slight frustration is if he, because I'm looking at it a second later, he's still got a clean pocket. If he just waits until he clears that, then you can kind of get a better gauge of where he's at in terms of getting down the field as opposed to trusting, you know, what I mean, it's, it's I don't know. It's hard when, when it's the defender and the wide receiver are like running into each other trying to separate and then you throw it. It's like, well, you don't really know if, when he's going to be able to get out of that and then running down the field and all that, it's, it's, it's tough to throw it. But anyways, Watson gets kind of tangled up and Rodgers throws it and Watson can't get underneath it. But again, he beat the guy down the field, even getting, you know, the guy running into him, grabbing him a little bit. He still got behind him. No problem. Again, Duke Shelley, who apparently locked down Christian Watson all day. So he got open on his own play. He killed a guy down the field on one play where he's getting grabbed. It still didn't stop him. Duke Shelley's grabbing him. He still gets behind him. One play, Rodgers decides not to go to him. Oh, and, and then the, there was the curl route. So decides not to go to him. Uh, the next play, David Bakhtiari got pushed into him. The next play, he wasn't looking. The next play, grab slash overthrow. Then he goes off the field for a couple plays, comes back on the field. What do they do? Exact same thing. Just send him down the field. And what's hilarious about it is as you're watching it, it's like he's not going to get behind this guy. He's playing seven yards off. The corner immediately bails. He doesn't even get shoulder to shoulder with him until 15 to 20 yards down the field. But Rodgers, knowing his speed, sees, hey, he's shoulder to shoulder with Duke Shelley. He's going to get open. Sure enough, he does. The problem is, Daniil Hunter gets to Aaron Rodgers. It looks like he smacks his arm a little bit. And I believe as a result, this ball comes up underthrown. He is, Watson does get by him. He gets by him clean. And if the ball's out in front of him, he, this is a walk in touchdown. Uh, but the ball's underthrown. He has to stop. He has to come back to the ball. Um, I think I was even a little bit more critical of Watson than I should have been the first time because, hey, if it hits you in the face, you should catch it. If you look at it, though, the defender's hand is also right there. I think he actually rips the ball out. So the problem was the throw, 
And the problem with the throw is I think he got hit by Daniil Hunter as he was throwing. This time, I believe it was Zach Tom that got beat. So that's three plays now. Three plays where Roger, or where they've sent Watson down the field and it hasn't worked. Twice because the offensive line failed to block. Actually, kind of like three times. Oh, no, no, never mind. I was thinking his hand got hit on that other one too, but it didn't. Twice because the offensive line failed. Once because Rodgers overthrew him because he got grabbed. But again, he's open. Christian Watson at this point in the game could have had three walk-in touchdowns in almost three plays. Three of them. They're, they're, and and there's, there's no question why they're doing this, because they're putting Duke Shelley on an island with no safety help. And if you're going to do that, we should be able to do it. And all we need is our freaking offensive linemen to block long enough. So that's three deep passes he was open. At least two of the times he was grabbed. You've got the curl route he was open. And then you got that zone play where he was kind of kind of open, kind of not. But even if you say he wasn't, he didn't do anything wrong. Four times, though, for sure, I believe we're up to four out of four. When his job is to, to get open, he got open. The next one's a little bit more iffy for a couple reasons. Number one, I don't know if he was ever designed to be the guy as opposed to just running a route to, to clear out a side of the field. Um, also, it was a very, very slow developing play. Um, he kind of works. Let's see. The sticks are all the way over there. He gets 20-ish yards down the field before he kind of breaks to his left and then slowly breaks to his right and then kind of hooks back. Now, if Rodgers had the time and felt like it, is he open when he turns around and looks toward the quarterback? Yes, he is. He's got one, two, three, three yards, four yards, a cushion with the defender not even looking in his direction. But again, I think the play took too long to develop anyways, and it was a throw underneath to the tight end, so I think it was never really designed. And it was to the side that Watson was at, and it just so happens that we're clearing out defenders on that side, which I think is the intent and purpose. But even when he's not intended to be the receiver, does he end up kind of beating the corner enough that he's open for a deep reception? Yes, he is. He's open again. After that, you get to fade into the end zone, and this is the play where he ended up throwing it to Lazard on that quick slant. And and this play was confusing when I watched it. I couldn't tell if the ball was off or if Lazard... It looked like he didn't reach his hands out. I, I was able to pause it at one point. It looks like it almost hits Lazard in the hands, and his hands aren't even stretched. It's a weird thing. I don't know what was going on, but Lazard, I think, easily could have caught it and just didn't. Uh, but I'll tell you what. I think throwing to Watson in the corner of the end zone wouldn't have been the worst thing. Um, he actually does a very good job of getting behind him. He's at about the four-yard line. He kind of does a little stutter step and then pushes to get behind him, and he gets behind him instantly. He's behind him at the goal line which is shocking because Duke Shelley starts basically at the goal line. So he's got good, great position. He is behind him. He's not technically open because I don't think you can get open trying to run a, a fade into the end zone, into the corner of the end zone. But I think you throw it up. Duke Shelley's a small guy, if I remember. He's like a 5'9 type dude, 5'10, 5'11. I don't know. He's, he's a shorter dude. And Christian Watson being as big as he is, I get it. And listen, it's not a bad decision. Lazard ran the route. That was where you intended to go. He is open. You throw it to him. He's going to catch it nine times out of 10 for whatever reason. It goes through his hands, around his hands, under his hands. I don't know what exactly happened, but he doesn't catch it. But I'm just saying, I think Watson put himself in a perfect position. And um, and listen, this is a trust thing. Rodgers is more and more and more starting to trust Christian Watson. Lazard hasn't had a drop in a while. I don't know if he classifies this as a drop. I would. But he has had more drops than usual. It has been a less reliable target, I think, although he's still semi-reliable. It hasn't been as automatic as it has been necessarily in the past. And so if I'm Aaron Rodgers and you go back and look at this play, I'm thinking, hey, 
as much as I think this is automatic for Lazard, I might want to look a peek over at Christian Watson to see if he's got good position to throw corner of the end zone, throw it up high for him in this six foot five frame or whatever he is, six four, six five, especially against a guy like Duke Shelley. Plus, he hasn't, you know, we, he's been getting robbed of all these receptions. He's doing a great job. He's getting open. Give him an opportunity to make a play. But I get it. You trust Lazard. But the problem is, again, from the trust factor, probably goes down a little bit for Lazard. Next play, and it took a while. I mean, you got uh, Packers kicked a field goal. Vikings got it for a while. They marched down the field, get the interception. Then it was just run, play, run, play, run, play. The few pass plays, Christian isn't on the field. Uh, But his first play, again, if we wanted to exploit the depth, it would be really easy to do, but Rodgers just isn't looking his way. And he's not massively off, I guess, but the the point is he he bails from here in fear of Christian Watson. And this isn't Duke Shelley, but he's he's, uh, six yards off. And Christian Watson's going to run a slant. He goes up five yards and then cut. And remember, Watson's been running deep routes almost every single play. He's run one sort of a, a deep out route to get, again, the zone thing. He's run like three deep routes and then the curl route, and that's basically it. This time he runs straight down the field, and what happens? The defender bails. So that five, six yards of cushion, Christian Watson doesn't really close that. The defender makes sure he maintains that. So when he runs his cut, he could not be any more wide open. There is still four yards of cushion, and the defender's facing the wrong direction because he's got he's ready to turn inside to keep you know himself to the outside of Watson as he runs down the sideline, so you can kind of push him to the to the outside. So as his shoulders are turned toward the sideline, Watson cuts to the inside. So he's facing the wrong direction, and he's far four yards off. Watson is wide open. Randall Cobb's or uh, Rogers is looking to the other side of the field, and on the other side of the field, you've got nothing. You've got it looks like Lazard bulldozing a defender. He's trying to push right through him. You got Randall Cobb, who's running like an in route, and you've got three defenders there. It ends up working out okay. Rodgers is able to wait long enough for Randall Cobb to kind of come clean. And again, this is the whole predetermined thing. He's looking at it saying, hey, I know what the route is. I know what their defense is. Eventually, he'll come open. So he throws it. It's completion. It's fine. I don't know that, that Christian gets too much more, but again, the guy's open. He's just always open. He's going to run a slant to the other side. He's open. Next play is the touchdown pass to Robert Tunyon. Again, I'm never going to complain about a touchdown pass to to, uh, Tunyon, but guess what? He easily had a touchdown pass to Christian Watson sitting there too. He runs a double move on Duke Shelley, makes him look stupid. He cuts to the inside, gets Duke to kind of shift his body weight. Christian cuts back to the outside, and it's just game over. I mean, it's, it's so, I mean, Christian's like jogging down the field, and this guy can't keep up. He was open 10 yards ago. He throws his hand up the same time Tunyon throws his hand up. Um... Rodgers is looking to that side. He's looking to his right again, not looking at... We, we put Christian over to Rodgers' backside, over to his left, and Rodgers just is not looking over to his left at all. But again, not complaining. Throws a dime to Tunyon, touchdown. But was Watson open? Yes, he was. Again, double move on Duke Shelley. Absolutely burns him, gets wide open for... So by the, by, by the way, my count, he has four potential touchdowns in this game. If Rodgers had the time and Rodgers threw a dime, Dr. Seuss in it, Four touchdowns for Watson today. And you wonder how he has so many touchdowns in the past. It's because this is what happens every single time. It's just a matter of of making it work and connecting on it. Uh, Then you get another missed field goal from the Vikings. Packers take over. They're trying to hurry down the field uh, so that they can get their own point. Uh, Watson wasn't on the field, and because they're trying to hurry, he doesn't get on the field. So that's it for him for the half. Second half, what do they do? They go back to the Watson curl route. This time, Rodgers is expecting it. He's waiting for it. That's, That's he predetermined ahead of time, I'm going to Watson. Good decision. You know why? Same thing as always. The defender's playing off. When Watson goes flying down the field, the guy bails. Watson quickly turns around. The defender literally slipped and fell. I know it's not a super unusual thing in this game, 
first time I've seen the defender do it, but it's it was such a jarring thing for him to quickly realize, oh crap, I got to turn around and try to block him. He falls on his face and Watson's standing wide open. Unfortunately, for some reason, Rodgers decides to throw it about three yards off to his left. So even as Watson tries to dive for it, he can't catch it. But uh, such is life, I guess. Um, next passing play. Again, we're trying to go to Watson because what I'm thinking is the guys up in the booth are watching this saying, dude, you've got to throw the freaking ball to Watson. So at halftime, what did they do? They say, we got to get the ball to Watson. So they run a curl route. He's open. What happened? Rodgers throws a ridiculously awful ball. Then they run the ball, run the ball. And they're like, all right, let's take another shot to Watson. This is like number four on the day. Does he get open? You bet he does. Gets behind the defender, just like every time. This is, I think, four for four. Two of the times he's being held, doesn't matter, he still gets behind him. What happens? The ball ends up going wide out of bounds. Again, I, I saw Rodgers kind of throwing a fit about something. Maybe he's mad at himself, but I was like, did, did I misunderstand? And I know Romo was like, oh, he couldn't quite get his head around. Like, what are you talking about, get his head around? The ball was way out of bounds. It was clearly not catchable. Uh, Rodgers did have time in the pocket. He didn't have any pressure. But, um, yeah, the ball just completely missed. So uh, Watson was 0 for 2 on that. So he ended up one for five, and two of those were uh, on that series where the ball just completely missed Watson. After that, the uh, Packers have to punt. Vikings get the ball. Kenny Clark strip sack, et cetera, et cetera. Next play, what do they do? They send Watson down the field. This time they have him run toward the middle of the field. Again, Duke Shelley's in coverage. And again, zero safety help. Now, again, this is a slow developing play. It takes a while for him to get down the field. The Packers are starting at the, uh, looks like, 35-yard line. But what happens? Watson gets inside of Duke Shelley. He has a step on him. And so if Rodgers throws this deep down the middle of the field, Watson can easily go chase it and get it. Again, no safety anywhere. He's, he's 10 yards behind the deepest safety, 30 yards down the field. I don't know why they weren't using any safeties to try to get us down the field. Um, it's actually really disappointing. You, again, JJ had asked the question, why does it seem so clunky? I think this is a big part of it. They played the game saying, go ahead and try to throw it deep on us. We're going to try to dedicate to taking away the run game. And we just couldn't do it. The opportunities are there. You can throw this to Watson and he can catch it. This is five for five. He's not as, as wide open and way behind him as, as in the past, but he's got to step on him. And with his speed, this, this is open. This is NFL open. And again, he's inside of him. So you throw the ball to the middle of the field. He, he not only has about a yard um, behind him, but is about a yard inside of him as well. Now, to be clear, I don't know if this was ever designed to go to Watson to begin with. This may just be a clearing out thing, but the fact of the matter is the safety did bail, and Watson got behind. I mean, part of the reason the safety kind of at least, he may have continued to drop if the ball wasn't thrown. I think Watson gets behind him anyway, but the point is, a little pump fake, a head nod, whatever. The guys underneath aren't open. Did Watson get past Duke Shelley again? Yes, he did. Would Rodgers have enough time to wait and get it to him? Probably not. Took a while and not, you know, offensive line and whatnot. Plus, this play, the, the ball was batted. So unlikely he could have gotten it even further down the field, even later in the play. Next play, let's try that little curl route a third time. And this is the least open he's been the whole time because they're playing zone. So it wasn't man coverage. They're in zone coverage. So when he runs a curl route, the linebacker's able to see him be like, uh-uh, I don't think so. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter. And this is the problem with people saying, you know, you take those screenshots and like, well, that guy, look how close he is. This guy's a yard and a half, two yards off when Rodgers throws the ball, and he can't get there by the time the ball gets there. I think we underestimate how quickly that ball can get somewhere. This also, I believe, was third down, and it's the play where Watson's able to get past this linebacker, get down the field, and, and convert a third down play. But was Watson open? He was. That's three out of three on curl routes. Again, one Rodgers wasn't looking, one Rodgers missed him, and one Rodgers hit him. But he was three for three. If we were to th 
wanted to throw it to him. And then his next play again is that one that I mentioned earlier where he's kind of jogging to the corner of the end zone. Um, kind of a weird situation. Don't fully understand it, but that's that's what it was. Was he open? No, because there's a defender standing in the corner of the end zone. But that was it for him on that drive. Next play, and on, on this whole series, Watson's been kind of been used in motion, which hasn't really happened the entire game. They just started doing it. And I think part of the reason is because we're getting into a much more run-heavy thing, so we're kind of changing the way we're playing. Much more heavy personnel, a lot of motion to try to get the linebackers, just to kind of give us a slight advantage in the run game. Um, we had motion uh, to the right for Watson, and we ran the ball. This time, Watson's going to come across the left, from right to left, and we're actually going to pass the ball. And is Watson open? Yes, he is. No problem on the play because it's designed to the right. Rodgers throws it. But I'm telling you right now, this is a, probably a touchdown pass to Christian Watson because the entire it's a play action to the right. So the entire defense recognizes it's not a run. It's to the right. Everybody bites to this side of the field. Everybody. And Watson is screaming down the left side of the field. Maybe if Rodgers turns around and throws it, the defenders double back. But I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm not so sure, but it doesn't matter. And, uh, you know, there's no reason to not throw it to the wide open guy coming across the field. I'm not blaming Rodgers, but I am saying Watson was open, and I am saying this is potentially his fifth touchdown of the game. That's all I'm saying. No big deal. And I think that's almost like a fun metric. If, if you were to just guess, go through the game and say, if the ball was to go to this person every single game, what would their statistics be? What would, what would you say the stats are for this player? You know, it's, if, if it's incomplete, then it's, you know, 0 for 1. If it's complete for how many yards, and you can try to guess how many yards after the catch and how many touchdowns. Watson's stat line, I think, every week, if you were to just do that just for fun, would be stupid compared to everybody else. Just stupid. And you get another play with Watson trying to run a little slant to the inside. Um, hard to gauge whether or not you want to call this open. First of all, he was grabbed again. No surprise. Uh, beyond that, though, the ball comes out kind of quick to Rogers' left. And as soon as the ball's thrown, Watson kind of slows down. So it's hard to tell. Like, if this had continued... I mean, Watson gets past the guy. You would assume if he keeps running, he ends up coming open. It's kind of 50-50. If you look at when the ball was thrown and say, was he open in that spot? Probably not. He was working on getting past the guy. Does he eventually come open? Probably. So you could just put a question mark on this one or or say yes with an asterisk or no with an asterisk, whatever. After that, Rodgers runs in for a touchdown. No big deal. And that's it. And then you have Jordan Love coming in, and I don't think Watson was out the entire time that uh, Jordan Love was out, so... That's it. That's the whole game. So again, I, I, I didn't keep track of that in my head as I was going through just now, but I, I want to say, again, potentially five touchdowns. With perfectly placed balls, there's almost no question. Or would it have been six? Because that one where he was to the inside would have made it five. I think there were four deep shots that were almost guaranteed to be touchdowns. Maybe it was three. I don't know. But it, I'm telling you, I'm telling you definitively, it is almost every play. And if we start treating him like Devontae Adams or you just look at him all the time, it's going to work more often than not. And maybe there's games where it won't happen. I think this time in particular was a great opportunity, which is why we kept th- trying to throw it to him, even though it was a failure for numerous reasons. Um, I think that was the intention of doing that. By the way, I really like watching Jordan Love play. I know it was only a couple, but... It's crazy when you pause this as guys come out of their breaks. I mean, the, the ball's coming out of Love's hand. I mean, his, his anticipation and, yes, ball placement 
is really impressive. However, that last play where he throws that slant route, which is actually a pretty accurate pass, but the defender is right there. I saw him getting chewed out on the sideline a little bit. You could see why, because they were actually trying to set up a screen to the other side. He runs like a, he, he does like a little hand signal, which I think is him signaling to, he's going to go for that little slant route possibly because he likes the matchup, I guess. He's overthinking it because they had a real nice setup to the right side with a, uh, with a screen, it appears. It was blocked up real nice, but he decided to throw it to Romeo Dobbs, trying to give his guy a, give his guy a thing there. But yeah, I think they had a really nice screen match. But I, 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 again, very limited sample size. But you look at the pass that he completed, and you look at the timing and the anticipation, the ball placement of the next pass, velocity on the ball, poise in the pocket. I just like it. I mean, you're not going to have the mental side like Aaron Rodgers has. You're going to make those mistakes, like with uh, maybe overthinking things, trying to throw it to Dobbs when you should just throw the screen. Things that you have to work through that you 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 know you can't get without 10, 15 years of experience in the league. But when Rodgers leaves, we're going to get a guy that doesn't have 10, 15 years of experience in the league. They're going to have to get through that. The question is, what about the rest? And I like the rest with Jordan Love. Just from what I've seen that little bit uh, in, in conjunction with the last time we saw him out, I just haven't seen him do anything that made me go yikes in a long time. Because again, even that bad decision was about as accurate of a throw as you can get. It's just the guy just wasn't open. But anyways, um, that's it. We'll talk to you later. Have a great one. Bye-bye.